Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're once again very kindly joined by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast this morning. Hi, Jonathan. Good to be back, despite the fact it's chucking it down with rain here in Seaford. Yes, it's not particularly pretty outside here either. Um, Before we get into the podcast today, I just want to let everybody know that we have a dedicated email address for comments and ideas on the podcast. I'm receiving numerous uh, messages over Twitter and we've been seeing some into our generic inboxes. But if you have any uh, messages and suggestions specifically for the podcast, please email us at podcast at ukinvestormagazine.co.uk. So, Alan, last week we were discussing GameStop and at the time it was tearing higher, ripping higher in the markets. Um, I think we were recording it very shortly before the market opened. And at that point, we were looking at pre-market gains of some 140% or so. You know, we're looking at prices above $300. It did, of course, go higher than that. Since then, in in, in just a week, we've seen a dramatic reversal in the in the price of, of GameStop. Um, it closed yesterday. Um, in, in US uh, markets at $90, uh, just checking the pre-market. Uh, I'm seeing 107 at the moment. Yeah, one, yeah 107 in the pre-market. So yeah, it is up in yeah. the pre-market uh, yeah. today. So obviously a significant uh, reversal there in the in, in the price of, of GameStop. Now, this is something that people uh, that got in um, early would have made a huge amount of money from and those that were jumping on the bandwagon um, unfortunately would have lost quite a significant percentage of their holding if they were getting in um, about this time last week. So I think what we need to do today, Alan, is really sort of look at you know what was happening there. What was the reason you know initially we for the the rise? I mean we did go into some details on that last week, um, but what's happened since then in terms of um, the drop, what's been happening with certain brokers there, and really, what is the the lesson here for um, investors? And I, th- I think a lot of people that you know were involved uh, in this stock, especially within the last week when it was grabbing the headlines, maybe weren't the most experienced uh, in- investors, and they were they were seeing big moves and wanted some of the the, the action. I mean, let, let's just start off, Alan. With there has been some. Um, reports and, and questioning about the legality of what's been happening in these Reddit forums. I mean, my view is there's nothing illegal about it. it, it it's purely people discussing. Um, nobody's giving advice. If anyone's giving advice on that regulated, of course, um, that is a, a matter for the authorities. But you know, people simply going in and, and reading views on a, on a Reddit um, forum or any other forum. Uh, isn't illegal. However, there has been concerns that there's going to be regulations coming in or, you know, the regulators should be looking at this. What is your your view on this from a sort of regulatory and legality standpoint? It's a very, it's a very interesting and complex question, Jonathan. And uh, 
I mean, I myself have, uh, you know, obviously years ago I started Share Crazy, so I've I, I, I'm well used to running bulletin boards and um, moderating and so on. And uh, it, it's it, you know it really uh, the the channels have um, have been subject to self moderation uh, to date. But of course, given <laughs> ironically, COVID as well has probably driven a lot of this activity because of course. Um, a lot of people that would normally be at work are now sitting at home in front of their computers. So, um, so I think what's happened is you've got some big traders in these Reddit trading rooms. Um, others are coming in, and they're acting along with them. So, in a sense, um, if the, the, there are some big guys out there, I, I was reading a story about one guy who's a fitness fanatic, and and he's. I think he's driven his portfolio from ten ten thousand dollars to start with up to about ten million dollars, and of course he's been placing some very big trades into uh, some very big long trades into GameStop. And I, I saw a video of his, and it it wasn't rocket science at all. It was just really straightforward and looking at the inflection points, following the the technical signals, and um, and, and and trading higher. Um, but I think what we've seen is that. Um, uh, Obviously, uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the um, uh, institutions have uh, a view and have a position in the market, and they put their institutional investors behind it. So they very much have an interest in driving the stock one way or another. And we we of course heard that um, uh, uh, you know uh, th- there was one company um, which I, I shan't name, obviously uh, you know because we don't want to get into in, into uh, issues around that. Um, was incredibly short of GME, um, a GameStop, and they sold shares over and over again, and eventually ended up selling one hundred and sixty percent of the entire their entire float uh, uh, short. Um, so the only way they could win is if they bankrupted the company. Um, so you know that that in itself uh, raises an awful lot of question marks. Um, it turned out uh, that um, th- this company was bailed out uh, by. Um, a, a market maker for um, for, for a lot a lot of the trading platforms, uh, and so that they're also the market maker for uh, one particular uh, a platform that made all the headlines um, and uh, was also used by a lot of the traders in the Reddit forum um, to to, uh, to 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 trade through. So of course, um, the <laughs> there's a relationship between the market maker. Uh, and the platform in that the market maker paid the platform for a data feed in return for receiving data back on uh, the uh, the traders in the Reddit room, what they were going to do, what they were trading, and effectively going out and front running the market. Um, and the, the, the net effect is that, um, that uh, uh, of course, they bailed out this uh, the uh, hedge fund that was short of GME, so they were losing a lot on those positions. So they were trying to manipulate the market and limit, or telling telling the t- telling the uh, the cut the trading platform to limit the amount of trades that they could do or offer to anyone any one trader. And that's obviously why we've seen the the share price in GME fall back. But um, you know that it's. It's not the Reddit trading rooms that need to be taken to task here. It's actually the behaviour of um, these institutions and market makers that needs to be looked at, in my opinion. In indeed, yes. I mean, there, there, there's. I mean, the, the halting. I mean, it was wasn't only just you know in ones in America. It was here in the UK. Um, you know, numerous 
uh, trading platforms halted the trading of uh, of, of stocks. Um, I was looking at various different um, CFD platforms. There was inability to trade, inability to put short positions on, uh, which would have been quite frustrating for people that uh, um, like to be involved in the trading side of things. Um, so a huge um, backlash uh, was obviously um, put out on, on Reddit and various other um, platforms on on the back of this because you know in in effect you're you're limiting the the free flow of of the market now of course the move in in GameStop was uh, you know it was huge and I think to and there was an element of uh, you know, certain platforms trading platforms taking on risks you know they've got you know too much exposure mm. to a certain stock I'm sure their their risk departments um, were, were having a um, some very tense meetings around that and, and what that could mean. But, I mean, really, it, it is something that uh, you don't see very often and, and it's something that we, we, I don't think we'll, we'll be seeing again, I, I wouldn't have thought, um, in the in the immediate future. But I, I just wanted to sort of look at this, Alan, and just take away um, some, some sort of pointers here and, and, and lessons for uh, investors and what it could actually mean for the for the wider market because you know when you're sort of looking at stocks you're um, always trying to base your investment decisions on valuations and relative valuations compared to peers and, and compared to um, historic norms now with GameStop and there were certain other other companies involved as well AMC and Silver, uh, Rock, Silver. yeah Nokia and yeah exactly we saw huge, huge moves there um, with valuations being taken to, uh, you know, le- levels which are astronomical uh, levels. I mean, how, how much is this a reflection on, on what's actually happening in the wider market in terms of, you may have stocks like Tesla trading, um, you know, some time ago, 800 times earnings, for, for example. People look at that and think, well, Tesla can trade at that. That valuation. Why can't we take other companies uh, to these sort of valuations? And I mean, is this a bubble, Alan? And do, and do you think this is something that, um, when, when you're sort of looking at um, these frothy situations with the market, do raise some uh, some concerns for you? Certainly raises concerns, but 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 there's also an awful lot of good about uh, that's come from this. I mean, you know, COVID has, ironically, probably bought about this situation because you've got more, uh, you know, one trader by himself isn't going to really move a stock unless it's a, a micro cap, but, um, but, uh, or unless it's George Soros, of course, Soros, of course, but, uh, but um, uh, I think uh, what it's, uh, what this has uh, shown is, of course, Elon Musk is a well-known hater of short sellers. He, he views them as destructive and, uh, you know, in, in some cases where, uh, where stocks are poorly managed, or there is uh, there are some issues behind the scenes that haven't been fully aired, then it, it is a good thing. But uh, but it, certainly he views it as destructive to business growth. And I think as investors, fundamentally, we're all looking at companies uh, that are trading at one uh, p and looking at them, looking at them, thinking, well, you know, with the assets they've got, with the work they're doing, I hope the stock will be ten p. 50p a pound and that's why we invest um you know whereas active traders will look in the market and say well yeah tesla is massively overvalued so it should be worth half that but um 
but by what measure? So I think uh, Elon Musk has inspired a lot of uh, traders to come into the market, um, not just Elon Musk, but of course others too, and just trade long on these stocks. And of course, if enough people are doing it, if there's enough money going into it, they're more buyers than sells, it's going to drive the share price higher. So I don't think that's a bad thing. But 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 um, there's long been discussion about moderation of social media in this regard, chat rooms, trading rooms, Twitter, uh, uh, and all the rest of it. Uh, I don't see how, you know, I don't see how the the markets uh, or, or the regulator can prevent that. But um, clearly with um, AI, clearly with other other uh, measures, um, it could well, this could well change going to the future. You know, we, we could well see more regulation, um, automatic regulation, if you like, which, uh, which wouldn't necessarily be a good thing. But I think... Um, I think uh, what this has raised certainly is concern, are concerns over the way some of the funds, some of the hedge funds have been behaving towards companies and the fact that one particular fund with GameStop um, had an agenda to effectively bankrupt the company, which uh, is never a good thing. Yes, I agree. And I have to go back to your point there. Um about the, the sort of regulation side of things, I think it would be sad to see any regulations coming on the back of that because, you know, in, in effect, um, this is no different to going to the pub with a few of your friends and discussing some shares that you'd like to buy. It's just doing it on a much bigger scale, on a digital format, and it's just um, it's, ba- it's basic herd investing on steroids. Um, I don't think there's any regulatory comeback that should uh, should be seen but of course we'll uh, we'll await um the uh um findings and and any action that's going to be taken there it's going to be an interesting yeah. story how that how that pans out so on the well of, of course you know gamestop a gaming company we're going to move on now to the three equities that we're going to be discussing this week and let's stay on the theme of uh of gaming uh alan with a company that's reported this week, we've discussed it in some detail. We've had lots of feedback from listeners um, on the discussions that we've had around this company and, and its bid stack. Yeah. So, Alan, we've um, had a trading update for the year 2020. Um, before we go into the ins and outs of it, would you be able to give us a brief breakdown of uh, the figures there? Certainly, John. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Okay, so Bedstack, um, of course, the share price uh, had pushed as high as 14, 14 pence um, uh, a, a few weeks ago in the run-up to this, but um, the the numbers were good. Um, the, uh, the the numbers were good. There, there was a lot of detail uh, in the announcement. And, of course, um, we've said before that the CEO, James Draper, has come under an awful lot of pressure and has taken an awful lot of stick, including you know, character assassinations on the back of his, um, shall we say, enthusiasm for uh, perhaps um, uh, putting out numbers that uh, the company weren't able to achieve early uh, at that point in time. Um, but the company said last year that um, it was trading, uh, the market uh, trading would exceed expectations, um, it would be very second half weighted. And uh, of course, it did that, it came in with revenues of 1.7 million. Um, End of the year, well, it, it, just after the end of the year, there was a, an additional 
uh, non-trading uh, cash payment for the company. The company has 2.76 million cash in the bank. But of course, it um, announced increased losses of 7 million. But with the headcount going up to 69 people, um, and obviously the technical developments that's taking place, that doesn't come as any surprise. Um, however, a lot of the pundits out there now are saying, goodness me, uh, Bidstack will need a placing uh, almost straight away because clearly it's got no money um, uh, and it's not going to generate any revenues. Uh, and they're basing this on on uh, the statement that, uh, that James uh, Draper made to the markets where he said um, the... the um, that uh, Bistack has made uh, uh, strong progress, um, and the current but the current pandemic may well result in the further lengthening of sales cycles. So, to address this, the strategy will be to concentrate on the appropriate implementation of its technology, even if it's the expense of, of some short-term opportunities. And a lot of people in the market saw that as shock horror. It's not going to hit targets. It's you know the revenue is going to fall away. What, what's happening? Well, actually, no, that's not the case. Um, the company's working with the top agencies in the world. Dentsu, WPP, Publicis, Omnicom, Interpublic, Accenture, Havas. It's uh, the games publishers, Sega, Codemasters, Ubisoft, um, and of course brands including Burberry, Volkswagen, BMWs, KFC, Duracell, so on and so forth. Um, it's got a, a growth in the it's approved partner network uh, of, of 25 uh, uh, pre partners across over thirty countries, um, and also um, in terms of its technology, it uh, it has collaborated with Oracle. It's a collaboration called Moat, which um, supports the integrity and validity of the data that uh, it's uh, it's generating from the views, um, and also opens up um, uh, uh, really advanced brand lift measurement um, uh, metrics. Um, so in, 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 in a nutshell, um, advertisers using the platform um, have a very detailed uh, analysis on the return on investment that they're going to receive or they are receiving from their campaign. So this is great. But also key to this is that um, in the second half of the year, a lot of the advertisers went from uh, on uh, went from testing to putting the advertising on plan um, and the market seems to have, uh, seems to have assumed from this that uh, from the statement that that's going to stop well no it's not I mean they, those campaigns are continuing so the spend the, the the uplift in spend in the second half is continuing the company will continue to win new business and is probably doing so as we speak uh, and this will continue so Given that, even if we just continued on the basis of the revenues in the second half, that's three and a half million in the bank uh, generated revenue from this year. Now, clearly, with a cash burn of seven and a half million and the 2.76 million at the bank, it will need to raise funds at some point. But calls for an imminent placing, I think, are, are, are somewhat wide of the mark. Um, now, the, the company is going to announce the full year numbers in probably uh, a, a month to a month to two months. And of course, in that, there'll be a post end period trading update, which will indicate the the run rate, uh, of course, the actual run rate of revenues, which is the the fact the factor that we're trying to establish going forward. But bear in mind the, the note from the broker Stifel. Um, Stifel has a 20 pence discounted cash flow target which it announced last March 
They discounted that to 8.5p. This is March last year, prior to the fundraising. And of course, uh, Bidstack did um, um, execute a fundraising last year. So they, they still have uh, um, ample funds in the bank. Um, now, given that uh, scenario, the shares literally halved in value, currently trading around 6p, offering, I believe, excellent value. And with the outlook, I, I think the, the company is very well placed to continue growing. And I would expect to see it return to the the values it was trading at prior to the announcement within the next um, within the next four to six weeks. So, Alan, you're 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 obviously an optimist on on the stock. I, of course, we've discussed bid stack in some detail previously. Mm. I've raised some some concerns there. Yes. I, the, the I mean, I did say that. I mean, we were speaking back in the summer, and I think they just uh, recorded about two hundred seventy thousand pounds worth of revenue for the first half of the year. I did say at that point that if they did not increase that significantly in the second half, it would be over for Bidstack. Yeah. They have done that, however. Um, but we think we're now moving into a new chapter here because there's an interesting statement that I, that I saw within the, the RNS, and, and that was that the board believes um, Bidstack is now the leader in the native in-game advertising industry in terms of, of revenue and technology. Now, this is a, a sector which has seen a number of new entrants over the past two years since uh, uh, Bidstack was, was established. A lot of these companies are still private, so it's very difficult to get any um, figures on, on revenue. So, um to actually judge what they're saying there in terms of them being a leader in terms of revenue, it's very hard to actually um, compare them to, to to other companies. Technology, um, th- that's obviously down to, to user experience, how it's being adopted by uh, various um, ad agencies. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, Bidstack have is, is, is DSP. Um, some of the competitors have opted to feed into to, to other DSPs. So um, there's a little bit less tech there for, for ad agencies to be using. Again, this will come down to ad agency um, preferences. But but sort of looking around the subject, there's, of course, been some quite high profile raises, capital raises within the sector. Anzu.io has just raised in the last few days. Um, $9 million uh, from a selection of VCs, as well as, which is quite interesting, um, WPP. Now, WPP is a group of the owner of Group M, um, which is media agencies, including Mindshare, Mediacom and Wavemaker, and is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, billing media agency, uh, especially not only in the UK, probably globally, them putting money into one of their competitors, Alan, does that raise any concerns for you going forward in terms of um, Bidstack trying to gain market share as this market develops? Well, I think I think WPP are, are of course a huge huge agency, but um, uh, and of course WPP are one of the agencies that Bidstack are, are working with, um, and my guess is that uh, the WPP network. Um, are looking at uh, are looking at maybe something that they can bring in house and uh, and use for themselves. So um, competition's healthy, of course. You know that that's the that's the main the, the main the main point behind this. And um, you know, Bidstack uh, claim they're the leading the leading platform. Certainly, 
let's not forget they've assembled, uh, aside from the actual board itself, they've assembled a, a very impressive advisory board. Uh, of course, the um, the uh, Derek Wise uh, decided to uh, has decided to step down. He's he's moved on. He's uh, uh, he's helped the company set up the the the, the moat um, the moat collaboration with Oracle, which of course is key for the group going forward. But the the advisory board that Bidstack has set up over the past uh, year to eighteen months includes Andrew House from uh, PlayStation, former former uh, PlayStation uh, uh, boss, um, Will Cassoy, who's Ad Colony and Walt Disney. Brian Nieder from EA Games and Gatepath, um, Joel Lively, of course, Trade Desk, uh, which is key in the uh, a key part of the network. Um, uh, with Jonathan Epstein at Gamespot, Pete Beanie at Spotify and WPP, and of course Jan Hetherington at Signosis uh, and Sony. So um, th- this is the advisory board that uh, Bidstack has. So it's got the very best minds providing the uh, pr- providing uh, answers and uh, helping develop the technology um so yeah if there are only one player in the market then then of course um you know that that would that would indicate that perhaps the market potential isn't huge but as we know it's a massive massive marketplace it's um i think it's the they expect the global advertising market for gaming is going to be worth about 250 billion in the next three to four years so it's that's absolutely huge so naturally there are going to be other players and Really, um, they'll all develop, and uh, but by the sound of it, um, given the bid stack clients have moved from test to on plan, I think that's highly significant. And uh, you know, we'll we'll obviously find out more from the company with the full year results in a few weeks. Yes, and that that's something that I'm going to be looking forward to. But just before we move on, Alan, there's one other thing that I've, I've found in this in in the RNS, and and this is something as you mentioned there, going back to the market. And there's huge projections there. Now, what, one of the things that Bidstack did say um, is that the fill rates for native in-game advertising remained low in uh, in 2020. So that, that would mean that there's a significant amount of inventory out there, but it's not being filled by, by advertisers. I mean, do you think this is a problem that, that's going to continue going forward? And how do you think sort of bid stack are going to be able to sort of combat this if we don't see the the uptake from um, the the end client? And and also there's one other thing that I think we should probably touch on here is the head counter at bid stack. Obviously, increasing sales and marketing mm-hmm. there, a huge amount of people. I mean, how do you think these two sort of factors can play out in 2021 for them? That's a that's a very interesting point. I think the uh, obviously the head count they've had to. Increase so they can accelerate the development and uh, uh, but but uh, I, I think on that on that note the the um, you mentioned the, the the low levels of take up of course it's uh, the the market potential is huge but um, it's actually the challenge has been monetizing that market all the way through and of course that's what Bidstack have are spending the time doing and that's why they're delaying short term opportunities so they can further develop uh, the offering and the collaboration with moat is key to that because moat moat uh, um, uh, the or, or the moat collaboration measures the traffic uh, or the native traffic measures the invalid traffic too um, and so it can accurately report the uh, the um, the the uh, the brand uplift um, uh, 
uh, metrics to the to the advertisers going forward. And I think that's that's probably the key to developing or, or making this sector attractive for advertisers. It's uh, because advertisers will look at and say, well, great, I'm going to be on these platforms. How will I know how it's working? Well, here's the plan. So a bit second and say, well, here's the platform. Here's how we measure it. Here's the here. Here are some examples of previous campaigns and the brand uplift that uh, those campaigns generated. And once they've got that data, then the advertisers, I believe, will be queuing up because gaming is growing. It's a bigger market in a sense than streaming TV and uh, and uh, and other digital channels. It's absolutely huge. So um, so I think that's it's a market that uh, advertisers are complaining on TV, of course, that they're with the uh, streaming TV. They're not they're advertising. The commercial breaks aren't getting the exposure anymore. So they need to find new channels to to, to reach their market. And uh, I think, uh, you know, Bidstack have a very strong offering in that regard. Indeed. I mean, the, the, the area of new media, as this would fall into, is, is huge for advertising um, going forward and, and ad tech is a particularly so exciting industry. So I do await their full year results uh, in the in the next couple of months. And I'm sure that we'll be discussing those, Alan, when we when we get them. Indeed, we certainly will. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> now, mo moving on so, again, this is a company that we have discussed before. Um, and full disclosure, I do hold some shares in this company. It's Power Metal Resources. Um, Power Metal Resources has a very interesting portfolio um, of projects, and they've had a solid flow of news recently, Alan. But what's uh, what's the latest updates from them? Well, solid flow of news is it, it's it's a massive understatement, isn't it? I mean, I, I I don't think I've ever seen a resource company with so many projects and a CEO that um, is working twenty five hours a day, eight days a week. Uh, you know, he's He's absolutely on the case. So, of course, Power Metal. Uh, of course, Paul Johnson was uh, uh, was on a, a webinar with uh, with UK Investor Magazine recently, um, and uh, they have well, currently they have eleven projects uh, across the globe, and I, I'll go through those in brief order. Um, in in Australia, they have uh, two projects. They have um, the uh, joint venture with Red Rock Resources. Um, in the Victoria area, and those are three license areas around the Ballarat gold mine. And they announced yesterday that they had the licenses had been awarded, and obviously they were then they were then progressing. They would then be progressing work in that area. Very exciting indeed. They also acquired an option in Western Australia, the Patterson Province, uh, which is a copper gold option. Um, there's an established infrastructure in the area. Obviously, Western Australia, it, it's vast and sparsely populated, but there's an established infrastructure in the area um, uh, uh, with the Newcrest Telfer mine and X-Metals Nifty Copper uh, uh, project. Um, and, of course, that's, uh, that we're going to hear more on that prospect going forward. We then moved to, um, to Botswana, where the company has the um, Kalahari Copper Belt project, which is a joint venture with Cavango Resources. Um, and uh, uh, again, in that area, uh, in, in, uh, in, the, in the KCB area, um, the company announced uh, that at the South Gandhi project, um, this is in the past few days, soil sampling and aero, uh, aero magnetic surveys were underway to, uh, to further accurately assess the, the potential in the ground there. Um, but uh, um, Cavango Resources, 
uh, are also operating uh, in Botswana as well and have another project of great interest. Um, so so th- th- there's a very experienced team on the ground there. They have a, uh, a joint venture in uh, Tanzania, with the, which is the Haneti project, which is a 65, uh, 35 uh, split with Katoro Gold. Um, uh, it's a huge nickel prospect. Uh, over 50 holes that were drilled um, there. The drilling campaign has just been completed and the samples from that campaign have gone to SGS Tanzania. We then moved to Canada where there are um, two projects. There's the Silver Peak project, which is um, which is uh, uh, at um, it, it, it's in British Columbia, um, and uh, there is a, a former silver mine, Eureka, Eureka Victoria Silver Mine, there, which is the uh, incidentally the first crown granted mineral property in British Columbia, um, and again, uh, b- uh, what were described by CEO Paul Johnson as Bonanza Silver Grades were recovered from that prospect. But they've just announced uh, a new development in Canada. Um, the um, uh, that they've acquired uh, uh, prospects in the uh, Hemlo Gold, uh, uh, called the Hemlo Gold Project, which is in Northern Ontario, and um, another company, Panther Metals, run by Darren Hazelwood, um, has uh, territory uh, has has territories adjacent to the uh, the North Ontario project, um, and from their sampling, they've recovered. That uh, 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 they've recovered samples of 18.9 grams per ton at surface, which is very encouraging. Um, they also added further projects that the McKellar Enable Magical and Cocoa East projects. Uh, and again, these these are just licenses they've acquired, so they'll be progressed uh, uh, shortly. There's the uh, in the uh, we go back to Africa, the the uh, DRC in Congo. They have a copper and cobalt project, which is. Uh, which is underway, and they're they're working on uh, converting the license to a, to a, a, an exploration permit with the with a twenty five year uh, life there. Um, so it, it's just it's just a relentless progression of development and work undertaken by the company. And you might think with all this work that the company might need to raise money. Not a bit of it. They uh, there are an awful lot of warrants in the company. And every every couple of days, the company announces that uh, more warrants have been converted. They've converted two point six uh, over two point six million in warrants uh, since uh, August last year. Um, and on, as a result of the amount the, the uh, amount of money raised on warrants, they they, they haven't that they that they decided not to undertake a proposed fundraise uh, uh, in quarter four last year. So. Um, and there are plenty more um, warrants out there that will be converted, so one would expect this to continue. So v- very well funded. Currently got a market cap of 27 million shares of trader size 3.4p on the year, um, as low as 0.16p. So those that got it in right at the start have uh, have seen bonanza grade returns, to use Paul Johnson's uh, 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 Paul Johnson's terminology. But um, there is. I've said before when we've spoken about this project, there are so so many of the projects are high potential. I also didn't mention, by the way, the Alamo Gold Project in the USA, which is another gold, which is another project they have underway. But there is there is news, uh, there are news and developments all the time across the world on this. Um, and um, I, I think uh, if you're there are 
well, that there aren't any companies offering uh, of this market cap and size offering that number of projects, any one of which, if it develops and turns into um, in, in, into a major pro- uh, a major find, uh, a major um, uh, uh, asset or precious metal find, any one of those projects coming to fruition could dwarf the current market cap. And that's the exciting thing. So when we invest, we're all looking at reducing risk. Um, And obviously the spread of risk that Power Metal Resources offers across those 11 different projects um, really does mitigate risk very nicely. And, you know, there's a very good chance that one or more of those could come to fruition and we could well see a 10 mega from this point. So, Alan, there's, uh, this is obviously probably going to be quite a difficult question to to answer, but we obviously just discussed then a number of projects. Which one do you feel is probably going to be the, the most... Uh, that's probably the wrong way of saying it. Which one do you feel has the most potential um, and could be uh, the one that really gets Power Metal Resources going? That's, yeah, a very good question. I I really, uh, I think any one of them, uh, because, you know, Paul is a very experienced um, uh, mining boss and uh, has run a number of companies over the years. So he's got a good eye, uh, A, for finding, uh, finding good quality projects with, uh, you know, uh, large potential assets underground and also delivering value for shareholders. Um and obviously, the, there's a big focus in Australia at the moment, uh, particularly in the Victoria region, and the granting of those licenses to the Red Rock, um, Red Rock Resources, Power Metal joint venture yesterday is highly significant because it's around an existing gold mine, the Ballarat gold mine. And Victoria is absolutely, it's incredibly fertile territory. Of course, ECR Minerals are also engaged on two projects in the area. You've got the Fosterville mine, which is the most profitable gold mine in Australia um, and uh, is operating. Um, so which one's going to come to fruition um, or which has got the greatest potential? Um, I don't know, but I think probably if they fast track the Australia development in Victoria, then we're going to see, we're, we're going to see some very exciting developments there. But yeah, any one of these could dwarf the current market cap. And if you look at what happened, I think the yardstick is, if you look at what happened with Greatland Gold, um, uh, you know, Greatland Gold was trading uh, a, a, as a, a micro cap um, uh, at the beginning of, well, the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. And of course, um, the uh, then it announced a joint venture on its Haviran prospect with Newcrest Mining. And that joint venture, uh, it basically owns 30% of a 4.2 million ounce gold resource underground. Um, which Newcrest are developing. And as a result, its market cap rocketed to over a billion. So that gives you some idea of the potential. Um, you know, given the current backdrop for precious metals or and base metals, um, it, you know, any one of these could go and it could dwarf the current market, current market cap. I'm not saying that, you know, a, a joint venture will be announced with one of the large mining companies, but that's how these... That's, that's how these pro, these prospects develop. Um, the small companies do the work, then the big boys come in with their resources and their ability to put a mine into the ground, and um, away they go. Indeed, it's going to be an interesting one to uh, watch through. One and of course, I mean there is some risk with this company. 
Um, you know, that they have got a diverse portfolio, but um, that's not to say that uh, we're, we're going to see them come off to the big levels that uh, that we all hope that they uh, that they do. So we've been on the subject of gold there to some extent with, with Power Metal Resources. And um, we're going to finish off now, Alan, with a company. Just looking here at their chart, actually, it's been in a, a quite a nice steady uptrend, actually, over the last six months. It, it is a a chart that I do like to see of a company. Um, it's Lexington Gold. It's got operations over in the United States. Um, what is the recent update from them, Alan? This is a really interesting company. I mean, again, it's not a power metal resources by any stretch of the imagination. So in that regard, I suppose it's much more of a binary trade. But um, but I think there's... I, I was chatting to, uh, chatting to uh, an investor about this company and... Uh, you know, he was just saying how he just really likes the look of where they're at. Um, but also other people said to me, South Carolina, you know, there's not there's no gold in South Carolina, but there is. Um, so uh, Lexington Gold, LEX, uh, currently got a market cap of 8.2 million. Shares have traded as high as 4.2p on the year, as low as 0.67p. Um, so, and as you say, really good looking chart there, John. Um, the company changed its name last year from Richland Resources. Um and has 51% ownership of four gold exploration projects across South Carolina. Of course, the area is a prime location for highways and for energy and support services. Um, so the, 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 uh, the partner there is Uwari Resources, which owns 49% of the, of, of the prospects. And these are the, uh, the Jones Keystone Laughlin uh, prospect, which has historical mines across two areas. Um, the Jennings Pioneer Prospect, which uh, was discovered in 1860. Um, uh, um, the Carolina Bell Deposit, which uh, combines the Iola and Uwara historical mining areas. Um, and also the Argo Project, which is a drill-ready prospect where we've already seen grades of um, uh, grades of, of 12.6 uh, grams per tonne and multiple historic pits over some 350, 360 acres. Um, but um, the uh, probably the most remarkable uh, development uh, so far in South Carolina is um, that it uh, it uh, actually has was the biggest gold producing state uh, until recently uh, when California overtook it. Um, part part of that is due to the Haley deposit. That's H A I L E. If you can if you want to Google it, um, uh, gold was discovered by a fellow called Ben Haley uh, in eighteen twenty seven. Uh, they attempted to mine for gold. It was unsuccessful at that point. Um, and it was uh, that there were various mines set up uh, where pyrite was mined. And that's, of course, used for sulfuric acid. But it only really started to, uh, things really started to take off um, in the uh, mid-noughties in 2007 when a company called Gramarco got involved. And, of course, we've spoken before about modern mining methods, data mining, desktop uh, information now available. Um, so in 2007, Remarker got involved, developed uh, developed the prospect, and uh, sold uh, to the, well, the company and the Heli Gold property was sold lock, stock, and barrel to Oceana Gold in 2015 for 856 million dollars. So you know that's a that's a chunky uh, a chunky uplift by any standards. Um, so so of course the uh, the. The mines are the the, uh, the, the prospects that uh, Lexington Gold, Gold own are all in established areas, um, and there has been some 
development. Um, the company said in December that uh, it had undertaken a helicopter electromagnetic survey over the Jennings Pioneer uh, project, um, and uh, it would be processing and modelling that data in early 2021. And then uh, yesterday, the company announced uh, it was launching a, a 610-metre diamond drill, pro, uh, drill program at the Jennings Keystone Laughlin uh, prospect. Um, drilling will start probably in a couple of weeks, uh, toward the end of February. It's got environmental approval. It's going to drill six holes. Uh, it's already generated a 3D model from there. Um, and historical intersects have so far revealed moderate uh, grades of uh, about 1.1 million. So um, clearly with the with the data they've got, they're looking to, 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 to progress this. But, um, you know, a very moderate market cap. Companies uh, run by exec chairman Ed Nealon, who's got uh, many, many years experience. Um, he's a veteran in the industry, founded Aquarius Platinum and also co-founded Sylvania Platinum with Melissa Sturgis, who's also a non-exec on the board. Um, and of course, Melissa Sturgis is now in the UK with, uh, as she runs the Ananda uh, uh, Cannabis uh, Company. Um, and um, Bernard Olivier, who's a CEO, um, worked at Tanzanite One and was also on the team that discovered the Jork uh, resource um, for Besant Resources, 3.9 million ounces of gold. And Bernard, Bernard is the CEO. So um, looks as though the company is going to do undertake an awful lot of work this year. And, um, you know, at these levels, um, I, I, I think, you know, an 8.2 million market cap for uh, a, a company with prospects of this quality uh, starting out um, is a pretty good, entry, looks to me to be a pretty good entry point. Indeed, indeed. I mean, when, when you're sort of looking at uh, a company like this, uh, Alan, and indeed, this could probably apply to, to power metal resources as well. I mean, what what were the main metrics that investors should probably consider of what the future value of a company should be? Is it is it sort of looking at uh, the resources in in the ground and, and what that could add up to, um, or should they really be looking at the potential cash flows that a company like this is going to be producing if they get to production and when they get to production? Yeah, of course there is that. Um, so, uh, and I mean the company sort of the company currently has the funding uh, to 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 be able to um, uh, undertake that work, which is key. But also, um, uh, well, firstly you've got the history in the area. You, you know, you've got uh, you've got it's adjacent to uh, well, it's in a fertile area for gold production, um, uh, and uh, of course we've I mentioned the Haley mine and. Uh, there are other mines in the area. You've got the Ridgeway mine, which uh, is a 1.5 million ounce resource uh, owned by Rio Tinto. And the Barite Hill resource, which is uh, 600,000 ounces estimated in the ground. Um, and the Jennings Pioneer prospect, uh, owned by Lexington, is about 600 metres from the Barite Hill mine and is believed to be a potential satellite deposit. Um, and uh, soil sampling from Jennings Pioneer, in fact, 92 grams per ton, which is a very strong number indeed. So, so I, I think you know th- those are the factors that uh, need to be considered um, uh, going forward. Clearly, funding is a is a key issue, but um, but I think uh, I, I would certainly, I, I mean, Power Metal Resources with its range of prospects, the fact it's fully funded, that's uh, that to me is a pretty safe bet as an investment because you've got. Um, You've got eleven different uh, prospects, 
any one of which could yield a, a, a big result at any time. Uh, clearly, Lexington is more of a, a binary trade, so it's, it's more of a speculative buy. But clearly, the backdrop for gold is very strong, as we've discussed. Um, you know, and that's going to be the case, I think, for the next five to ten years. Indeed, we've discussed a number of gold stocks, and uh, they've had some pretty good moves through 2020. Um, so, looking forward to discussing those as, as we go into 2021, Alan. So. Um, just as a reminder of the companies that we've discussed today, um, Bidstack trades under the ticker of BIDS. Um, Power Metal Resources trades under the ticker of POW. And just then was Lexington Gold, which trades under the ticker of LEX. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. So just as a reminder, um, if you've got any feedback or you feel there's something that we're missing or should be adding to the podcast, um, please do email us at podcast at ukinvestormagazine.co.uk. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.